Farm Baptist Church. Thank you for being here this evening. We want to continue our study this evening through the uh, Gospel according to Mark, and we are uh, still on chapter number 13. We're still in the Olivet Discourse, but uh, hopefully tonight we'll be all of it. I got that from Russ. He, uh, I hope that uh, we're able to finish this evening, but uh, let's uh, go again to the Lord in prayer and seek His face because we so need Him. I desperately need Him, and I, I certainly can identify with what uh, Pastor Russ said this morning about uh, being anxious in uh, preparing to preach. Because this is not just giving speeches, or, or this is not just giving a, a, an oral report. This has eternal consequences. And we're either gathering to Christ or we're, we're driving away mm. from Him. And, and there's not any in-between. Mm. And that's a scary thought, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's a scary thought. And we know that He is especially fond of his flock and for a person to take in hand to unrighteously or unworthily speak to his flock it should be a terrifying thing to everyone uh, we should uh, we should be mindful of that and so let's seek him this evening oh, our precious lord one more time we come to you confessing that uh, we are far short of where we ought to be in sanctification. We've come so far short of your glory in life and even this day. This day that uh, we have set aside to worship you, to spend time meditating upon you and seeking your glory and turning away from our own pleasure and yet even in a day like this we come so far short please lord cleanse us hear us tonight i need you i confess that i am utterly helpless in the department of power unless you grant your divine, holy power by your Spirit, there won't be any eternal benefit to what's said. So please, Lord, speak to your people how we need to hear from you, how we need truth. I beg you to protect me from error, Lord, you, you know I would rather you take me out right now than to allow me to say anything that would be misleading or wrong to your people. So please speak to us through the spirit of truth tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, this, uh, as I said, this will probably be our last... Uh, message in the Olivet Discourse, 
And so I, I want to just, uh, this message is going to be just an overview and a conclusion of the entire thing. As our, our title says, uh, this is the summation or the summary or the sum. We should say the sum of the chapter. And uh, Jesus sums it up in these, or sums up his remarks, at least the way Mark has recorded the uh, sermon or the uh, Olivet Discourse, in uh, verses 24 through 33. And so I'm going to read those uh, verses. I normally read the entire chapter, but we just walk through the chapter and get down to uh, these verses. But let me begin in verse number 24 of Mark chapter 13. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will not pass away. We ought to just pause right there and say, praise God. <laughs> His words will not pass away. And you know, you can't say that unless you're God. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Now, uh, this chapter, as we have already uh, covered, we uh, know that it is... Uh, uh, one of those uh, difficult chapters that people uh, 
try to define eschatology by using this passage of Scripture. And uh, this is a passage of Scripture that uh, comes when uh, Jesus has come to Jerusalem. The, the Messiah has come to town. And that's a very important statement, a very important thought, because this is the hope of Israel, that the Messiah would come. I uh, got this from someone else, but, uh, uh, but he said that most civilizations, all civilizations, uh, probably have a golden age that they look to. And they talk about, but with most civilizations, their golden age was in the past. It was the good old days. But the exception is the nation of Israel because their golden age was always in the future. They were looking for the Messiah and the golden age of the kingdom. And when Jesus came, this was the fulfillment of all those prophecies that uh, had gone before. Even the pictures in the Old Testament uh, uh, law and the Old Testament tabernacle and uh, uh, Solomon's temple, all those, all those uh, uh, types and shadows, pictures of the Messiah were looking toward this day and this Messiah. The king has come to town, and he came to town exactly like the Bible said he would, exactly like Zechariah said he would, on a donkey, and he rode into town with the voice of the people, uh, shouting Hosanna to the son of David. And, and so it looked really good, did it not? It looked really good. These are the people who have heard about his miracle working power. Some of the people who were gathered into Jerusalem had heard about him raising Lazarus from the dead. This had happened just recently before this time. And so uh, they were, uh, they all wanted to, see him they wanted to be in on it and as he came into town they were uh, throwing down palm branches and laying their coats in the street and shouting hosanna and all these wonderful things and it looked really good but uh, that's about as far as it went he went to the temple he goes in the temple looks around and he sees the corruption and the sin that's there. He sees how that the religious leaders have failed the people. How they have failed the flock. And he goes back to Bethany, or he goes to Bethany. He comes back the next day. He sees a... a, 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 a an olive tree. And uh, I think maybe that's when he left the, the temple. He sees the olive tree and he goes to see what is on it. And there's nothing on the olive tree. He curses it because it has leaves 
and no olives. It's a perfect picture of what has just taken place, right? It's a perfect picture of how good his reception looked, but how completely hollow it actually was. And so Jesus saw that there was no fruit in the temple, and so he cursed the olive tree just like he was about to curse Israel. In chapter 23 of the book of uh, uh, Matthew, we read that Jesus brings a harsh and detailed blanket indictment on the leaders of the people, the religious leaders of the people. And he says uh, in uh, the end of his words there to them, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, do you hear the pathos in his voice? Do you hear him crying out? He loved his people. It was not a pleasure to him to bring this indictment against them. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those that are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate. Desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then he begins to, Mark uh, 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 gives us the uh, details of some of the parables that Jesus used that uh, were easily recognizable by the people uh, there from the Old Testament. And he uh, then uh, there's these uh, people who have already made up their minds that they're going to kill him. They want him dead. They want to do away with him. So they're either going to have to find a way to have him put to death, or they're going to have to discredit him so uh, openly and so thoroughly that no one would have any uh, respect for him. And they were unable to do that until the time when Jesus orchestrated all the events that led to his uh, arrest and crucifixion. So Jesus came at exactly the right time. Paul says in Galatians, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. So that's what he he came exactly the right time when he was virgin born and when he arrived this day. He came at exactly the right time. And so he uh, uh, 
says these things. He says that, uh, he tells them that he's going to, or that this temple is going to be destroyed. Verse chapter 13 and verse number one. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite or across from the temple. Matthew says it this way as he was going out of the temple and going away. He was going away. It's the very picture of what Ezekiel showed us when the glory of God departed Solomon's temple and uh, went out the eastern gate and over to the Mount of Olives. Jesus is abandoning the temple, just as he said he would. And the temple is going to be destroyed. And that is a monumental thing. I, I read that it was 30, like 35 acres in the temple compound. And uh, some of those stones that uh, uh, made up the building and the surrounding uh, courtyard were uh, some of them were over a million pounds. Can you imagine? Uh, who knows how they even were able to do that? But uh, to build those, to build those walls and to build those buildings. But Jesus said, "This is going to be torn down. Won't be left one stone upon another." And so, uh, this is. The judgment that is coming. And this had been prophesied. This had been prophesied that uh, judgment would come. Even when the Old Testament prophets talked about the new covenant, they also talked about the judgment that would come at the same time. And so this is, this is what's happening. This is the fullness of the time. Jesus has come. And he has pronounced judgment on Israel because they have broken his covenant. It was talking about him going into the temple and seeing the uh, uh, corruption that was going on in the temple. He comes back and goes into the temple and, and just uh, uh, disrupts everything that's going on. He overturns the table of the money changers and he drives out the uh, livestock and the people that are buying and selling. He does all those things, but that's not the first time he did it. He, According to John, uh, the Gospel of John, in chapter number 2, he did it in the very beginning of his ministry as well. He went to Jerusalem right after the uh, uh, feast, at the, the marriage feast at, the Can at Cana. Uh, he went to Jerusalem, and he went into the temple, and he saw what was going on, and he uh, did the same thing. And John says he made a little whip of cords and, and gave them a whooping and, uh, and drove them out. And uh, so, you know, I mean, this is all just woven into Scripture. You, you think about uh, the uh, law of leprosy in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. In chapter 14, you read about uh, uh, the 
how they were to deal with leprosy in garments and leprosy in a house. If a house had leprosy, and that's, I don't understand that, but if, a, if it was determined that there was leprosy in the house, the priest would have to go and he would look at it and he would tell them what to do to get rid of the leprosy. And if they did that and then he, the leprosy just kept spreading, he would come back the second time and the orders would be to destroy the house. This is exactly what happened, didn't it? This is exactly what happened in uh, uh, the temple. Jesus comes to the temple. He sees the corruption. He declares that uh, they need to, they must repent. They must, that this is judgment that's coming upon them. And then he comes back the second time. And pronounces destruction on that house. So, this, uh, this, these words that we read in the uh, rest of the chapter have to do with this judgment on this place and on these people. And during that generation. So let's just run through this very quickly. We find in verse number 2. That uh, Jesus declares the destruction of the temple. And then in verses uh, uh, verse number six, we see that uh, he warns them, and between that, I've, I kind of skipped over that, but in verses three and uh, four, Bible says he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things be? Now he has just told them about the destruction of the temple. When will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say unto them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And so there is religious deception that he warns them about. And that religious deception was rampant during those days. Then verse number eight, he warns them about political unrest. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, there will be famines. There will, these are but the beginning of the birth pains. So there's religious deception. There is political unrest. There are earthquakes in verse number eight as well. There are famines that he predicts in verse number eight. And we know that uh, those things actually begin to take place. 
in that the surrounding area. And you say, well, you know, there's earthquakes everywhere. There's famines everywhere. This is not anything unusual. But this is something that Jesus is predicting that will be localized, that will have a primary effect upon their lives. And then in verses 9 through 12, he tells them to be on guard because there's going to be persecution of believers Believers will be persecuted. Those who hear his words, those who obey his words, they are going to be persecuted. And uh, and in verses 11 through 13, he says it's going to be so intense that it will even come to your home. Your very loved ones will be the people who persecute you. Now, I know this is hard to... Uh, to deal with. It's hard to uh, take. And some people think that, uh, uh, that they have scriptural warrant to claim that all their family, if they have trusted Christ as their Savior, all their family will. And uh, oh, how I hope that's true. But I don't see it in the scripture. I know what uh, verses that they're using. I, I feel like they're taking them out of context. And that would be contradictory to what we're just seeing right here. Because Jesus is telling his followers that this is going to come upon them. Their, some of their very own loved ones will uh, persecute them and turn them over uh, to uh, the authorities and cause them to be put to death and, uh, and Josephus tells us that during this time of uh, trouble, this time of tribulation, that they, people were so hungry that women would snatch the food out of their very baby's mouths to eat it. And some even went so far as to kill their babies and eat, it, eat them. And it was that serious but in between the uh, uh, persecution of believers and the intense household persecution he says in verse number 10 the gospel is to be proclaimed in the whole world you know that the book of acts tells us that after the martyrdom of stephen that the gospel that the disciples went everywhere preaching the gospel. It went everywhere. I even think about the Ethiopian eunuch that was traveling along. He'd been to Jerusalem and he was coming, going back home. And he was in his chariot reading Isaiah chapter 53. And Philip comes up to him and says, do you understand what you're reading? How can I accept some man guide me? And Philip got up into the chariot and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And the gospel went to Ethiopia. Isn't that amazing? Then in verse 14... We see the abomination of desolation that Daniel talked about. Jesus said this is going to happen. And uh, there's a lot of questions about that. And I, I don't know all the details about how 
that took place, but I do know that uh, Luke's uh, version of it says that when uh, the armies surround Jerusalem, then you know that the desolation thereof is near. And so uh, that actually took place. There was a siege of Jerusalem. There was war uh, on Jerusalem. There was war between uh, Israel and Rome for three and a half years, <laughs> 42 months. The destruction of Jerusalem in verse number 19. Verse 19, let me see if I can find it in my Bible. It's in here. For in those days, in those days, there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved but for the elect's sake, for the sake of the elect. Whom he chose, he shortened the days. So, he declares that Jerusalem is going to suffer great tribulation. And this will be during the destruction. And at the same time, he has told his followers to flee. Verses 14 through 20. Listen to what he says. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountaintop, uh, to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter, for in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. Now, do, do you see that uh, he's talking to that people for that time in their future. This is something that they need to uh, pay attention to. This is uh, when he says, pray that it's not on a, or uh, let's see, pray that it may not happen in winter. Uh, and uh, where's the Sabbath day journey? Is that in the? So, but he also says, uh, pray that it's uh, not in a Sabbath day's journey. Well, that wouldn't have anything to do with us. That would, uh, because we don't, uh, uh, we're not under the law. This is people who were under the law. This were people uh, in that day that Jesus was warning them. And, and so the believers were to, flee and uh, we've already talked about that i told you about uh, how that uh, uh, eusebius uh, quoted uh, quoted flavius josephus uh, and told about all that took place and how that 
the righteous people fled from Jerusalem. Naturally, uh, when uh, you know that danger is coming, when armies are coming, you would go to the fortified city to hide. But the believers that had heard Jesus warned them, instead of going to hide in Jerusalem, fled into the wilderness like they, they were commanded. And then he says in verses 21 through 23, there will be false Christs. People coming and saying, I'm the Messiah. And, in, uh, uh, and then he says, and I, I want to point this out too, and we'll, we'll probably come back to it. But in verse 23, he says, be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. Now he's, one of the reasons that he's doing this is not just for their safety, but it is to prove to them that he is the Messiah. This is just another, uh, another proof that he really is the Messiah. He could not have told them these things. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons why he uh, told them that he uh, chose Judas, he said, I, he, he chose Judas. And in John chapter 6 and, and in several places in the Gospel of John, he said uh, he, he did it so that you would know after this takes place that I'm he. And some of these parable or some of these prophecies that he makes here he makes them just for that purpose to prove that uh, he is who he says he is and so then he says but in those days verse 24 in those days after that tribulation the sun will be darkened the moon will not give its light the stars will be falling from heaven the powers in the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with power and glory. And then he will send out his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Now, we uh, didn't talk very much about this. We ran out of time, but he, uh, he says he's coming. And after that, after that, down in verse number 31... He says, well, verse number 30 and 31. Truly I say to you. So he starts it off with an amen. Amen. I say to you, this generation. And the word he uses here is a Greek word that means a space of time. And we know that a generation is somewhere between 20 to 40 years. And so in this generation in this space of time he said this generation will not pass away until all these things take place and so if that's true then his coming and we got to be very careful here I, I hope that you understand what I'm saying that I I am not saying that this was his final coming. 
I am saying that what Jesus is talking about here is not his final coming. What he's talking about here is his coming in judgment on those people, on that generation. And he did come in judgment on that generation. He, uh, he said, uh, and listen, this is a favorite text of, uh, of atheists that want to discredit Jesus and uh, say that he wasn't really who he said he was. They say that Jesus said he was coming back in that generation. And he didn't, so therefore, he is a false prophet. But, uh, but he was, I mean, there's uh, uh, two or three uh, possibilities, I guess, that uh, we could say. Either he was referring to another time, and I think that's what the dispensationalists think, that Jesus was actually uh, referring to another time. When he said uh, uh, about the generation, they take that to be 40 years, and then he goes on and talks about the fig tree blooming. And so they say, well, the fig tree bloomed in 1948 when Israel became a nation once again. And 40 years from 1948 is 1988. And there are 88 reasons why Jesus should come back in 1988. And he didn't. And the same fella wrote a book the next year called 89 Reasons Why He Will Come Back in 1989. And he didn't then either. Because he's talking about, and, and I read this to you. I hope y'all are not getting bored with this. I read this to you last week, but listen to what John Gill said. He said, uh, this must be understood not to be his last coming in judgment, though that will be sudden, visible, and universal, but of his coming in wrath and vengeance to destroy that people, their nation, their city, and their temple. That is the way I, the way I think I see it. <laughs> and uh, so he... He was either referring to another time, as the dispensationalists say, or he actually came, or the third option is that he was wrong. And I am not, uh, I'm not even about to consider that as an option. He was not wrong. He came in the clouds. And you said, well, <laughs> how did he come in the clouds? Well, he came in wrath, in the clouds of judgment, and he came to Jerusalem in judgment, and he came before the Ancient of Days, according to Daniel Chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, he came before the Ancient of Days in the clouds and he received a kingdom. So he destroyed a kingdom and he received a kingdom. 
Well, this says the sun was dark and the moon didn't give its light. All these are those, and we talked about this already. I won't spend any time. He, the sun darkened, the moon not giving its light, stars falling from heaven. These are cataclysmic words that are used. They're quotes from the Old Testament in Isaiah 13, 9 through 11. God said the same kind of things to Babylon in Isaiah 19, verse 1, he said the same kind of things to Egypt. Ezekiel chapter 32, 1 through 8, he says the same kind of things uh, to uh, Babylon. That's Ezekiel uh, uh, prophesying against Babylon. And the, the scary thing is that this time he's talking to Israel using that kind of language. And he speaks, when he talks like that, he's speaking of political collapse, and it actually happened. Well, all right. So, we get to uh, the next thing, the ingathering of the elect. He says, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Well, the, again, we say, well, that's got to be at the, at the very end, right? But uh, do you know what the word angel, do you know what, the, uh, what it means? What the, uh, another word for angel? It's a messenger. As a matter of fact, that's what John the Baptist is called. I will send my messenger... It's the same word, but the translators saw fit to call John a messenger, and they translate. They chose to translate this word, angel. But it's the same word, and it's the word that is used in chapter one of Revelation and chapter two and chapter three, talking to the talking about the messengers. Of the seven churches. And so the ingathering of his people from the uh, four winds is, uh, I believe, our preaching the gospel. They're preaching the gospel, and that's an ongoing thing, the purpose of the church. Then in the uh, uh, verses 28 and following, he talks about the fig tree. To learn the lesson of the fig tree, it's not the lesson is not that it bloomed in 1948 and 40 years makes 1988. That's not the lesson of the fig tree. The lesson is not about the fig tree. It's a, uh, Luke says the fig tree and all trees. In other words, you know when you see these things happening, the things that Jesus has just been telling them, when you see these things happening, that it is here. It's nigh. It's at hand. It's right here. And then he gives a warning that we can all say, yeah, he's talking to me here. <laughs> Be on guard. Be on guard. Keep awake. Uh, listen, they had special circumstances, but you and I have special circumstances as well, don't we? We are under attack. 
Pastor Russ talked about it this morning, about our spiritual warfare and how that the, uh, the enemy has all these uh, devices, all these tricks. He has had at least 6,000 years of experience with human nature. And he knows what will work. And you know what? I found out he knows what it will take to get me. He knows what it will take to cause me to trip up. He knows what it will take to cause you to trip up. we got to be on guard, right? Be on guard. And he was telling them that they should be on guard to see these things. Well, let me, if you don't mind me going over just a little bit, I'm going to give you some... Uh, I'm going to give you some practical applications. You didn't think I ever did that, did you? We need one of the practical applications we need to take from all this teaching is, uh, and, you know, I guess this is kind of extrapolating on what's said, but we need to remember that signs can be deceitful. And Jesus has uh, talked in this passage about uh, people who were uh, false teachers, false Christ, false prophets that would have signs that uh, uh, were almost good enough to deceive the very elect. And, and so, uh, and we know that he said in, in Matthew chapter 12, when the uh, Pharisees came to him and said, uh, teacher, we'd see a sign from you. And he said, uh, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And there will no sign be given except for this one, the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Then another one is God has a temple. He destroyed that temple, but he has a temple. It's a temple built with living stones. And we are the living stones. And we together in that temple are a dwelling place for God. Boy, that, that's just so amazing. And this takes some getting used to. I talked about it a minute ago. But our family can be, can turn out to be our persecutors, can turn against us. Our family, and listen, it's less about biology than theology. You're going to find that some of your family is not going to be as close to you as your brothers and sisters in Christ are. It's more about theology than biology and then jesus words jesus word is reliable heaven and earth will pass away but his words will never pass away only as i said before only god can say that and then if his word came to pass in what he said to them then we know, and I've already touched on this, we know that he really is God. Because he said it would happen, and he said when it would happen, and that's exactly when it happened. 
It's what happened and when it happened. If his promise to the followers of that day was faithful, we too can have confidence. His promises are faithful. And here's a good one. His kingdom has come. And we're part of it. And then the last, the ongoing work, ministry, and responsibility for us is to advance his kingdom by preaching the gospel to the whole world. We owe every person a clear presentation of the gospel. And we need to preach it. Because that's how he saves people. He doesn't just go out and give them a dream. He uses the gospel, the preaching of the gospel. So that's that's the message. That I think that will be the last thing on the Olivet Discourse for this time, unless I decide to preach through Matthew or Luke. <laughs> All right, uh, if you have questions, though, please do not hesitate to ask. And if I can't answer them, I will uh, try to find out how to answer them, okay? Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you take these scattered thoughts and encourage and help your people. In Jesus' name, amen.